Successful businesses know this, whether they're large businesses or small businesses, they know they have to have a clear understanding of what the mission is. In fact, even, even businesses that we might think it's very obvious what it is there to do, maybe a FedEx or something of that nature, Barnes & Noble, we would say, well, it's very obvious what it is that they're to be doing. The fact is, all successful businesses, all successful enterprises know the power of a mission. I read the mission statement recently of Nike, and I would think of Nike, it's pretty, pretty straightforward to sell sporting goods, but their mission statement is this, to bring inspiration and innovation to every athlete in the world. The fact is, we will operate more effectively in life and more efficiently in life if we understand the mission at hand, if we understand really what it is that we're to be doing. This is true on our jobs. This is true in our families. This is true in our community. This is true in our church. As individuals, we're to live as God would have us to live. In fact, Jesus so understands the way that we're put together that he took great care to deliver to us his mission that we're to be living. We often refer to it as the Great Commission. He gave that to us. Now, over the last two weeks, we've taken some time to see the first elements that really were demonstrated in this mission that Jesus gave to us. And we started on Resurrection Sunday by talking about the gospel, that God loved us, and that through faith in Him, we can know what it is to have a relationship with Him. And the, the message of the Great Commission begins with sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. Last week, we talked about the importance of baptism. And we saw how baptism identifies us with Jesus Christ, and it associates us with other Christ followers, with, with the church. And so it begins with salvation, it continues with with baptism the great commission reads this way in matthew 28 19 go ye therefore and teach all nations baptizing them in the name of the father the son and of the holy ghost and so we're to go and teach the gospel message and then we're to baptize people who've placed their faith in jesus christ and today i really want us to take it that one step further i want to consider the next portion and uh, we're going to be talking today about the mission the mission. It is a call to do, but more than that, the mission from Jesus for his followers, it's a call to be. It's something that we're to become and we're to live out in the course of our lives. And it's an encouraging passage and it's a challenging passage. And uh, if you're able today, I'd like to invite you to join me in standing as we read the Word of God together in Matthew chapter 28. And we've pretty well dealt with verse 19, so we'll make our way down to verse 20. Where the Bible says it this way teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. So the Bible says, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. I want us to think today of those words, teaching them, teaching them. Our Father, thank you for this morning, for the great privilege we've had to sing praises to your name. And Lord, now as we open your word, uh, I would ask that you'd help us to uh, be engaged. May we listen intently. May we allow your spirit to impress upon our hearts. And Lord, I pray that the result of this study would be decisions in all of our hearts that would lead to life change and a greater impact. And we ask this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much. You may be seated. God has built all of us in such a way where we're really at our best in life, we're most fulfilled in life when we know what needs to be done, we know why it needs to be done, we know how it needs to be done, and we do it all in accordance with the will and the plan of God. 
That's the best life has to offer. Knowing what God would have us to do and then doing that with all of our might for His glory. That's the best in life. That's the most fulfilling in life. That is the sweet spot in living. And the reverse of that is true as well. Many people today don't really know what it is to have an abiding fulfillment that only God can bring. And, and the reason for that is because they're really not understanding the mission. They're not living it out with all of their heart, kind of floundering in the course of life and finding really true meaning. And so we need to understand our mission and we need to live it out because it's crucial to the glory of God and to good coming from us. It's critical to our joy. The reality of our lives is that we have all been created to know God. We've all been created to know God. We understand that from Scripture. He loves us and He spared no expense to prepare for us so we could have a relationship with Him. And for those who've come to know God as their personal Savior, the Bible calls us to live a life of discipleship. Discipleship is a way of saying we're to follow Jesus with our lives. Jesus isn't a part of our Sunday morning routine only. He's not a part of maybe a few moments in the Word on a daily basis only. Those are good things. But a disciple of Jesus Christ is someone who does what they do in the course of their lives because they believe that's what following Jesus would lead them to live for. Jesus prepared to ascend back to heaven following his resurrection. He got his followers together. Really, the first church was uh, gathered together. And, and really, these, these elements of the Great Commission come out. Again, our mission is to tell people the gospel message. Our mission is to baptize believers who place their faith in Jesus so they can identify with him and associate with the church. And finally, we're to be people, if we're followers of Jesus, that do what we do so that we can teach others what it means to follow Jesus, so that we can be an influence that would make an impact for the glory of God. A true disciple of Jesus understands that we're to live in a way that we share with others what it is that we've learned of the Lord. It's an understanding that we're a blessed people, and with that blessing comes a responsibility. We're to share that with others. We don't want to live lives as a reservoir, just collecting good things. We want to be more like a river as God adds to our lives. We let the overflow bless those around us. As we consider the final part of this Great Commission, I want to share a few truths that I believe can encourage us to make the most of our lives, to be the very best disciples that we can be. And I want us to understand how our lives can be used of the Lord to leave an influence for good in the lives of others. And one of the things I love so much about God, and there's a lot to love about God, He tells us what to do, and that's helpful because without Him telling us what to do, we would not know. But He doesn't just tell us what to do. He always tells us how to do it, and then He makes a promise to go along with us and to enable us, equip us, empower us so that we can accomplish what it is He's given us to do. So today we're going to discover what it is that needs to be done and how it is that it can be done. So if we wanted to live a life as an authentic, true, fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ, and if we wanted to live lives that teach others, that influence, that make a difference, that leave an impact, where would it all begin? And if you have your notes nearby today, I want us to see that it would begin, first of all, with personally following Jesus. Now, it's a privilege and an honor to share Jesus and His truth with others, but I think we have to begin with what should be obvious. Our, our influence and our teaching must be based in a life that is personally received, believed, and is following Jesus Christ. 
It's inadequate, it's insufficient for us to seek to direct others in a way that would, that would lead them to follow Jesus if personally we're not following Jesus as our Lord and Savior. In fact, if we were to look carefully at verse 20 that we read a moment ago, Jesus said it this way. He said, whatsoever I have commanded you. And the emphasis here is on the word you. Jesus says, if you want to be a disciple that touches the lives of others, it begins with you. Are you living a life that's fully devoted to Jesus Christ? Are you yielded to him? Are you following that which he has given us to do? Now, when I understand that I can't hope to lead anyone else to a place where I am not personally, man, that causes me to want to dig a little bit deeper, to live an authentic life so that I can, I can encourage and help people that God brings into my life. How can I help anyone follow Jesus Christ if I'm not personally following Jesus Christ? I remember one time in the Bible, Paul was leaving a group of Christians that he loved very much, and it would be the last time he would see them. He's saying goodbye. And, and in the remarks that he shared with them, we read of them in Acts chapter 20. And in verse 28 of that great chapter, here's what Paul said primarily to the leaders of this church. He said, Take heed, therefore, unto your, yourselves, and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers, to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. And I want you to notice that Paul here, speaking to these leaders in the church, he said, I want you to know that effective ministry, lives that teach, lives that make a difference, lives that make an impact, are lives that begin with an understanding that we have to take heed personally. It's kind of like traveling on the airplane when the oxygen masks come down. Make sure you're cared for before you take care of those around you that may need help, because if you're not strong, you can't possibly lead anyone else to strength. He told them, make sure you feed yourselves before you feed others. He was saying it has to be real for you before it can be real for anyone else. And Paul was making this statement. Integrity always comes before influence. Integrity always comes before influence. It's got to be real with us before we can help it be real for anybody else. We've got to personally follow Jesus. And as we continue observing these words of Jesus Christ, we see a second thought we need to then proactively prepare and share his truth. We have to prepare personally, and then we have to share his truth. Now, the verse, again, it just simply said teaching them. So the obvious lesson from this verse is, well, I learned from that that I need to teach. I need to be someone that teaches truth. And that is an obvious statement. And that is a, a true conclusion to which to come when you read the words teaching them. But I want you to know there's kind of an understood truth that, that is found in those two words. If we're going to be people that are teaching others, the implication is we personally then have to be students first. Think of that. If we hope to be lifelong teachers... We'd better be committed to the process of being lifelong learners. We have to prepare, and then we have to share. Let me give you an example of this. The Apostle Paul was training, mentoring a young man by the name of Timothy. Timothy was a great preacher, and, and Paul was helping him along. He was early in his ministry, and he would often be overwhelmed and, and all that he had to deal with. And so Paul wrote him a couple letters really just to encourage his heart. And in the, in the letter in the New Testament we call 2 Timothy, Paul writes to him in chapter 4 and in verse 2, and he says, Timothy, preach the word. 
Preach the Bible, Timothy. That's what you need to do. Open the Word of God. Read it. Give the sense of it. Help people to understand it. Preach the Word. He said, be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. Reprove. Hey, don't do that. Rebuke. Really don't do that. <laughs> exhort. You can do it, okay? And he said, do that with long-suffering. You're going to need patience. Sometimes people will require great patience. And then he said, and do this with doctrine. In other words, the only authority a preacher has is the authority that comes from the Word of God. So he was saying, Timothy, open the Bible, preach the Bible, tell people what I've said. You need to be a faithful preacher and teacher of the Word of God, of the Word of God. But you know, Paul didn't just leave it at that. Because the command to preach the word was preceded a chapter or two earlier by another command. And in 2 Timothy chapter 2, Paul, Paul prefaced his remarks on preaching this way. He said to Timothy, study to show thyself approved unto God. A workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And I love this. Paul was saying, Timothy, you need to be an effective, powerful, dynamic communicator of the truths found in the Word of God. And if you have any hope of being an effective teacher, it's going to begin by embracing the role of a student. Study. Study the Word of God. Rightly divide the Word of God. And then you'll have the power you need, the wherewithal you need to teach the Word of God. True disciples of Jesus understand that the Great Commission, it really begins and ends with teaching. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing, teaching them to observe. We are to be effective teachers for the Lord. And we need to be immersed in God's word if we're going to be effective Christ followers that make an impact on the lives of others. Now I want to challenge you today, if this isn't already a regular part of your life, you need to make time every day to open the word of God, to read the word of God. Listen, I don't believe in some superstitious sense that if you find time to get in the Bible that you'll never have a flat tire and everything's going to go great for you. No, but I am saying this. If we want to get to know Jesus, we'd better get in the book. You know, one of the words that we use to speak of Jesus is the word. He's the logos. He is the word. And so we have a leather bound copy of, of the heart of Jesus Christ. And as we get in the Bible, we get to know Jesus. Therefore, we can be better followers of Jesus and better teachers for Jesus. I want to encourage you to spend time every day to get in the word read the bible read good books about the bible i mean there are so many great books we've got our c3 bookstore and we do our best to keep it filled with books on marriage and parenting and finances and how to share your faith and and devotionals all kinds of good helps i, I would encourage you readers are leaders and leaders are readers and if you're a follower of jesus you've been called to be a leader the question isn't are we leaders it's are we effective or not and I think it'd be great help to you to read the Bible, to read good books. I think it would be a wonderful commitment for you to make to say, I want to be a part of a, of a church family, of a community of faith, and, and I want to listen to Bible preaching. I want to listen to Bible teaching. I want brothers and sisters in my life that can speak truth into my life. I want you to know, I've already told you that integrity comes before influence, but I want to say now that illumination comes before instruction. The lights have to come on for you personally before you can share light with anybody else. We've had a lot of guests at Coastline in recent days, and uh, I'm always so grateful for that. I don't, I don't take that for granted. I know, first of all, God has to put it on someone's heart, and then those that, that come, they, they have to follow that leading, and it's wonderful. 
And uh, I was talking with uh, someone that had been a guest in one of our services recently, and, and as we talked, the comment was made, uh, you look like you're having fun up there, speaking of what I'm doing right now. And uh, I thought, well, that's, you know, that's good. Um, you know, I'm glad they didn't say you look confused up there or, you know, something like that. I, I've got to tell you, you, you preach enough times, you're going to have a few of those sermons where you'll get halfway through and think, why was I so excited about this when I was studying it? You know, but in general, uh, I hope that I, I look like I'm having fun up here. And, and it, it doesn't come natural for me. You know, they say one of the biggest fears people have is public speaking, and I have yet to get over that. I get nervous every week. My heart gets pounding, and every week I get nervous about standing up here. I'm not an extroverted person. I'm more of an introverted person. But I have fun because I want you to know by the time Sunday rolls around, this is, I've, never, I've failed in a lot of ways as a pastor, but there's never been a time where I've stood behind this sacred desk and begun by saying, would you take your Bibles and join me in turning, please? There's never been a time where I haven't studied and prayed to the point that I feel like I have something to say that I believe can help help people and, and there have been times when i've been teaching and i just had this sense man i'm helping somebody right now people are being blessed they're being encouraged I, i'm sometimes bringing a correction but but there's just no no feeling for me like the feeling of being used by god through teaching his word to influence and impact people so that their lives can look more like jesus christ but if i'm gonna enjoy the process of teaching you know what comes before it study prayer thought now, I don't want you to get me wrong. I'm not insinuating that, that I think I, I ever know all there is to know about a verse of Scripture. I, I know that is not true. I, I also am very aware. I'm not saying today I think I'm the smartest guy in the room. I'm not. But I do know in my heart, and I want you to think of this, that nobody has thought, studied, or prayed more this week about Matthew 28, 20 than I have. And if someone were to say, well, pastor, do you know what that word there means? I could say, yeah, I looked that one up. Do you know who he was talking to? I do. Do you know why? I, I know that too. And I'm not saying I know everything there is to know. But when I can study to the point that my life is filled up, I can't wait to get to this pulpit and say, guys, you're not going to believe what I learned from the Bible this week. It's going to help you. It's going to bless you. And it is a blast when you're learning and growing personally to share it with people that you love. When you're growing in your life, you'll find the teaching part comes so naturally. It's an overflow. It's an outgrowth of a vibrant personal walk with God. Discipleship is a joy. It's a joy when God is working in your life and you get to share the how and the why of it with people that you love. We have to proactively prepare and share his truth. And then I want us to see this thought. We need to passionately model his message passionately model his message now again looking to verse 20 the bible says teaching them to observe all things whatsoever i've commanded you to observe we're to teach people to observe now we hear the word observe we most often think of looking at something to the point of understanding it but we know there are other uses of that word we could say for example uh we're going to observe the lord's supper together as a church family we know that that doesn't mean we're going to put the the elements and just look at them we we know that means we're going to enter into this together we're going to do something we're going to observe and so the bible says we're to lead people to the point that they personally enter into living the life of a disciple themselves but but i want to i want to make a distinction here and although it's not in this verse in the words it's in this passage in 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 the spirit of it i i want to say today that if we want to help people to observe to come to the point where they live the christ light 
uh, life, there's, there's a point where we then have to live a life that would teach if they were to observe us. You've heard the saying, you know, our talk talks and our walk talks, but our walk talks louder than our talk talks. And we've got to understand that there's got to be a marriage in our lives between that which we believe and that which we do. And the fact of the matter is beliefs always determine behavior. I've heard people that never witness, who never give, who never go to church, who never spend time in the word, who say, oh yeah, I, I, I'm a follower of Jesus. And I, I often think, you know, you're, you're not. You may be saved, I don't know, you may be. But how could we say we're a follower of Jesus Christ if there's nothing in our life that resembles any of the things that Jesus told us to do hello i'm not being mean today i'm just saying it would it would be hard for for somebody to say i'm a follower of jesus i just don't really follow him we've got to come to the point where our lives can can be used as an example the call to follow jesus as a disciple should so totally change the look of our lives that when people see us they notice there's something a little bit different and if they come to know jesus they then ought to be be able to identify i know now what was different about you your life resembles jesus christ i like how peter said it in first peter 2 21 he said for even hereunto were ye called because christ also suffered for us leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. Now, Jesus suffered for us for many, many reasons. Through his suffering, he paid for salvation, our redemption. But the Bible tells us that there was one reason that he suffered as well, and, and it was to leave us an example. We can observe the life of Jesus. We know what it is to have family conflict. We know what it is to have people lie about you. We know what it is to have people reject you. We, we can observe Jesus and all of that. And the Bible says that Jesus went through the rigors of life so that we could observe him. And by observing him, we would know how in our own lives to observe or to put into practice the teachings that he leaves us. I love how the Apostle Paul led. He, he led so many times that this man had great credibility, great credentials, trained at the feet of the great sage, the great mind of the day. Yet in 2 Thessalonians 3, as Paul is leading this church, he says, For yourselves know how you ought to follow us. For we behave not ourselves disorderly among you. Paul said, you know how to follow me because you've observed my life and I haven't lived in a disorderly way. No, I'm not perfect. I'm not saying I get it right every time. But I'm seeking to follow Jesus. Paul went so far when he was speaking to the believers in Corinth. He said it this way. He said, be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. Can you imagine can you imagine the responsibility that comes along with a statement like that? Paul said, listen, we're to follow Jesus. But I'm following Jesus, and I'm just a little ahead of you in this journey. And so as I'm following him, as, as you follow me, we'll both be making progress together. G listen, Paul was not trying to usurp the authority or the allegiance that goes to Jesus and Jesus alone. He was simply saying, I'm imperfect, Jesus is perfect. But as I'm seeking to follow him as a disciple, if you follow me, we're going to head in the same direction because we'll both be following the same Jesus. And if we want our lives to lead others to Jesus Christ, we have to have been led to him ourselves. We must personally follow Jesus, as I've said. In fact, I'd go so far as to say that we could prepare and share the truth, as we talked about, with those that are closest to us even. But if our talk is not backed up by our walk, we turn people off to the truth.
rather than turn them toward the truth. Think of that. I have a memory file in my office, and I've got a file with notes and letters from Lisa, and I've got one from my folks, I've got one from my, my grandmother. Uh, my granddad never wrote anything to, to me, but my grandmother would write things on his behalf sometimes. And, and then I got a couple files, one from each of my daughters, and I was thumbing through those files recently, and, and uh, it's fun to look at the old notes and the old pictures they drew, you know, and, and uh, just to kind of take a stroll down memory lane. And every now and then, when you're having a little bit of a blue moment, it's nice to pull out one of those folders and, and be reminded that, that people love you, and, and it's a blessing. And as I was thumbing through these uh, files, specifically the ones for my daughters, I noticed that they never one time had written me a note that said, Dad, thank you for all the things you say to me. They never, they never wrote that. I would hope some of the things I've said to my kids have been effective, helpful, encouraging, but they've never written me a note to say, Dad, all, the, all those words that come out of your mouth, thank you for those words. They're good ones. Um, but you know, I have found that their notes were filled with statements that are similar to this. Thank you for what you've done for me. It would appear to me that my actions spoke much more loudly to my children than even my words did. And I'm not advocating living a life that is absent words, but I am saying that our actions are really going to speak louder than our words in so many instances. And as our actions are right, it adds gravitas, it adds power, influence to the words that follow. If you really want to make a difference with your life, make sure to consistently live the values of Jesus Christ. Model Jesus, model his message for your life. And that leads us to our final thought today. I want us to see that we're to purposefully multiply his ministry. The life of a disciple of Jesus Christ is interested in more people becoming followers of Jesus. Jesus is our king. And a faithful follower of a king always is excited to see the king's influence grow, to see his, his kingdom expanded. And so we need to have a heart that's purposefully uh, about multiplying the work of Jesus. The end game of the Great Commission is disciples. And I want to say that again. The end game of the Great Commission, if a person lived out the Great Commission, the end result of that all would be more people that know Jesus, more who've identified with Jesus, and more who then are sharing Jesus with other people. And I want you to follow this with me because it would be possible for us to read through this and maybe miss a little bit of what's being said. So again, in verse 20, teach them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. So Jesus talks to his followers and, and he says, I want you to go and teach people how to be saved. I want you to baptize them. And then I want you to teach them to observe all the stuff that I've taught you to observe. Now, what has Jesus taught us to observe? Well, we could think of so many of the great truths of the New Testament found in the gospel narrative, but let's think just of the Great Commission. Tell people about Jesus. Encourage new believers to identify with Jesus. And teach people to tell others about Jesus. That's what he's told us to do. So the Great Commission is not simply sending missionaries to tell the untold millions around the world. A lot of people will, will say, boy, somebody got saved. The Great Commission was fulfilled today. No, it was only a third fulfilled. We've got to then give people an opportunity to identify with Jesus Christ in baptism. But ultimately, our job is to invest our lives in others to the point that they will so understand the message of the gospel that they can share it with other people themselves. 
Did you ever wonder how about 200 years removed from the cross of Jesus Christ that a place that persecuted Christians, fought Christians on every hand, uh, we, we know Christians were, were abused in, in the most horrible ways. World leaders literally would impale Christians on poles, dip them in tar and pitch and light them to serve as lanterns in their gardens. I mean, Christians were the pariah of civilization. And 200 years later, they're the predominant force in all of the world. They didn't even have a New Testament at that point they just lived like jesus they shared their testimony their story of how they came to know jesus they identified with jesus they associated with others who'd also identified with jesus and they taught the people they reached how to then reach other people it's amazing paul told timothy about this in 2 Timothy 2, he told Timothy these words. He said, The things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men. And if it ended there, it would be a great verse, but it goes on. He says, Who shall be able to teach others also? He said, Timothy, your evaluation as a pastor is not just how much truth can you pour into the lives of those that you're serving, but are the people that you're serving able to turn around and pour that truth into the lives of those coming behind them? Can they share the truth themselves? That's a great process. That's multiplication. I was thinking of this message this week, and I, and I read a book by an author by the name of Chris Hogan, and, and uh, it was a, a financial book. It was a helpful book. I enjoyed it, but this message was on my mind, and I'm reading a financial book. And, and this author began to talk about compounding interest. And, and if you know anything about compounding interest, it's amazing. Einstein said that that was the most mind-blowing thought he'd ever considered. And, and so the author did what oftentimes authors will do when talking about this. He, he kind of gives an example, an analogy of what compounding interest would look like and and uh, literally I took a picture of that page with my cell phone and I I typed some of it out because I thought this is exactly what I'm trying to share with our church this would be an example an analogy of it but but this author said for example let's say you have fifty thousand dollars and you put it in the stock market for ten years at eight percent interest and I know someone's gonna say well then you know you're not gonna get that much well the fact is since the beginning of the stock market it's it's uh, over over uh, 10 closer to 11 in my lifetime it's been 10 so he just said hypothetically let's pick a number eight percent fifty thousand dollars you invested in the stock market at eight percent interest for 10 years after 10 years you'd have a hundred and seven thousand nine hundred and forty six dollars that's not a bad uh, return on investment, ROI. After 30 years, he said you'd have $503,132. That's not adding anything to it. You have $50,000, you invest it, you earn 8%, and 30 years later, that $50,000 now is over $500,000. He said this, he said at 40 years, it would be $1,086,226. Now, here's the thought I took away from this. The first 10 years of that investment, you're going to go from $50,000 to $107,946. So you made about $57,000 in the first 10 years of that investment. You haven't touched it. You just invested it and you left it there. You're not adding to it. You're not withdrawing. In the first 10 years, you make about $57,000. In the last 10 years, that same investment makes $580,000. And you say, well, what happened? multiplication your investment 
produce a, a, a yield, and from that, you're now making money on money that you've made, and it expands. Listen, that is the principle Jesus taught to us as his followers in terms of reaching people. He said, listen, it's, it's good to add one at a time. It's better when we have such an influence on people that we help to bring them to a point of spiritual uh, maturity where they then can add others, who can add others, who can add others, and, and it grows and it expands. We spent a lot of time in the last few weeks in various passages in the book of Acts. Many of you will remember that in Acts chapter 2 and verse 41, I read this last week, the Bible says, Then they that gladly received his word, it's the first part of the Great Commission, they were baptized, there's the second part of the Great Commission, and the Bible says the same day they were added unto them about 3,000 souls. And so we find that here's a group of about 120 believers, they're praying, they're working, Peter preaches, the invitation of the gospel is given, about 3,000 people are saved, and they're baptized, and they're added to the church. They're added to the church. They weren't there, then they were there, and they were added to the church. Five verses later, in the very same passage, the Bible says this in Acts 2.47. Uh, Praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to the church daily, such as should be saved. The Lord added. By the way, it's still the Lord that brings the increase. That's why so many of our goals as a church family are work-oriented. I've, I've never set a goal before our church of let's have this many people next week. That's not our business. We're kind of meddling in a part of ministry that only God is to oversee. We're to be faithful followers of Jesus, and, and we're to do the work, and we can organize and work together, but it's the Lord that brings the increase. And so the church started. People were added. We find a few verses later, people were added. But as those people that were added, went through this process of discipleship i'm saying when brothers and sisters in christ like you took an interest in them and loved them and taught them and served as an example for them what happened is those new believers started reaching people who started reaching people i read to you from acts chapter 2 but if we were to take the time to read the book of acts at some point we get to acts chapter 6 in acts chapter 6 the bible says and in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplied we can wonder, wait a minute, multiply, I thought they were being added. No, no, they're not adding anymore because those that have been added are reaching people that are reaching people. That's how you go from a span of 200 years of being the pariah of civilization to the predominant force in all of the world. It's because people were reaching people that were reaching people. They're being multiplied. Acts chapter 6 and verse 7 says, And the word of God increased, and the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly. What happened was people of faith were not content to just be recipients of teaching. They said, I want to so personally follow Jesus that I do what he told us to do. I want to tell other people how to be saved. I want to help them identify with Jesus Christ. And I want to teach them so that they too can put to practice all of those things that Jesus taught us. They lived lives that made an impact. A disciple who lovingly follows Jesus Christ will seek to do those things, will seek to help others. This is God's mission for the church. This is our mission as a church. If you ask the typical person today, how you doing? The typical response from the typical person to that very typical question would be busy. Crazy busy. Super busy. I'm so busy. Busy. And that answer oftentimes is a boast robed in a complaint. 
How are you doing? Well, me? I'm busy. Because I'm doing big things. Important things. And I find validation personally in my busyness. Doing, doing, doing. I'm not saying today that we're not busy people. But wouldn't it be a shame to get to the end of life and have nothing to look back on but a bunch of busyness that never really connected to the only mission that Jesus left those who claim to be fully devoted followers of his? We are busy people, but I think the question that we could ask is, what is it that we are busy doing? Are we getting the things done that are not that important in relation to others or are we remembering to do the main thing that Jesus gave us to do? Did you know churches can be this way? I fight a struggle every single day because every good idea and new idea that comes along, it's, hey, as a church, we should do this and that. And so many of them are good ideas. But if we did every new thing that came along to the neglect of the only main thing we've been given, we would degenerate into a social club with kind of a humanitarian emphasis and we would cease to be the church of Jesus Christ. We've got one mission. And Jesus gave it to us as the great commission. And we have to guard our church. We have to guard our families. We have to guard our lives from drifting from the mission. And it seems to come innocuously. We just kind of make a little bit of shift here, a step there, a, a change there, a decision there. And before you know it, we're living life where we would boldly profess, I'm a follower of Jesus. But the subset would tell a whole other story. We claim to be followers of Jesus, but are we helping anyone else to become a follower of Jesus? That's not a job for hired hands. That's not a job for the church staff or the pastors or the evangelists. This is something that every Christian is to do. It's to seek to live a life that teaches, that influences, that makes a difference, that make an impact. Who today are you praying for that they'll be saved? What new believer are you being kind to? Are you taking out for coffee and sharing with them some of the things you've learned as a believer? I, I wonder what young believer are you investing in and helping them to learn how they can share Jesus with their friends and with their family, with their coworkers. This is our mission. This is what Jesus has given us to do. So my question for us today is this. And it's not the kind you answer out loud. It's the kind you ask the Holy Spirit to reveal the answer in your heart. Am I really living my life as a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ? Am I living the life of a disciple? Would y'all be so kind as you join me in standing, please? Why don't we bow our heads together in a spirit of prayer? Our Father, we are so grateful that you love us enough to clearly reveal to us what is the most important. We thank you for giving us your mission so many times over in the Bible and then giving us examples in the New Testament to validate and back up the way the mission is to be lived out. But God, today I'm praying that you'd help us not to simply enter into this as historians, as just people simply seeking to gather knowledge to get a little better background on, on Christianity. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to ingest this as, as followers that want to make a difference for your glory, for your name in the world in which we're living. 
God, I pray that you'd help us to begin to view those around us in a different light, that we would see them as you, so that they in turn could see in us your work in our lives. God, I pray that you'd put a burden on our hearts for our neighbor. If they don't know you, that we would, we would be used by you to help them. Lord, I pray that we would have a compassion for new believers that need to uh, find maturity. And Lord, I know none of us are perfect and none of us have, have arrived. But like Paul, may we have the heart that says, you know, I'm heading this direction too. Why don't we make the journey together? Let me help you. God, I pray you'd give us a heart first for you and from that, a heart for others. A heart for others. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed this morning and I think in many ways the Great Commission of Jesus is a very familiar passage. I think many times we'd be quick to say, oh I know that one. And the question today is, am I living it? Am I living it? Maybe you're here today and and you'd say, you know, Pastor, there are elements of the Great Commission that I, I feel like I'm, I'm living to the best of my ability, but, but there, are, there are parts here that I probably could grow in. I, I believe I could, I could do more to go and teach people what it is to be a follower of Jesus, or I could encourage new believers to identify with Him, or, or I could live a life that teaches others what it, what it really means to follow the Lord to the point where they could teach others also. I wonder, are there some here today you'd say, Pastor, in the midst of, of our Bible study this morning, there was something said that, that touched my heart. There was value for me being here today. I want to live life on mission. And, and you touched on something today that I believe.